Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its kings and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpet, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of this city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. Then he ordered and he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. When Joshua had spoken to the people, the seven priests carrying the seven trumpets before the Lord went forward, blowing their trumpets, and the Ark of the Lord's Covenant followed them. The armed guard marched ahead of the priests who blew the trumpets, and the rear guard followed the Ark. All this time the trumpets were sounding, but Joshua had commanded the army, Do not give a war cry, do not raise your voices, do not say a word until the day I tell you to shout. Then shout. So he had the ark of the Lord carried around the city, circling it once. Then the army returned to the camp and spent the whole the, the night there. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. The seven priests carrying the seven trumpets went forward, marching before the ark of the Lord and blowing the trumpets. The armed men went ahead of them, and the rear guard followed the ark of the Lord while the trumpets kept sounding. So on the second day, they marched forward, they marched around the city once and returned to the camp. They did this for six days. On the seventh day, they got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner, except that on that day, they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around, when the priest sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the army, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall be spared because she hid the spies we sent. But keep away from the devoted things so that you will not bring about your own destruction by taking any of them. Otherwise, you will make the camp of Israel liable to destruction and bring trouble on it. All the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron are sacred to the Lord and must go into his treasury. When the trumpet sounded, the army shouted, and at the sound of the trumpet, when the men gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed, so everyone charged straight in, and they took the city. They devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it, men and women young and old, cattle, sheep, and donkeys. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, Go into the prostitute's house and bring her out, and all who belong to her, in accordance with your oath to her. So the young man who had done the spying went in and brought out Rahab, her father and mother, her brothers and sisters, and all belonged to her. They brought out her entire family 
and put them in a place outside the camp of Israel. Then they burned the whole city and everything in it, but they put the silver and gold and the articles of bronze and iron into the treasury of the Lord's house. But Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her, because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. Thanks for reading. That's terrific. Just to give you a little bit of context, it's amazing how God winds things together. We've just heard had the kids talk, and we were hearing about some um, Joseph in Egypt and how God intended his uh, uh, move to Egypt uh, to be for good. Um, but this passage here is jumping about 440 years uh, as we come to Joshua today. They spent the Israelites spent about 400 years in Egypt and uh, ended up in slavery there. And that didn't fit in with promises God made to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, that they'd have a land of their own and a people of their own. And so we've uh, they've come out of Egypt now, gone through the desert for 40 years, and we're picking up here as they're going into the land that God promised Abraham way back in Genesis 12. So that's the context of what we're looking at today. I'm just going to pray again briefly as we, as we think about Joshua chapter 6. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you that you are a God who makes promises and a God who keeps promises. And we pray that as we look at that today, you might help us think about how that relates to our daily lives as we live here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I wonder if you know anyone who has done a Bradbury. Actually, I wonder if anyone knows what a Bradbury is. If if you know what doing a Bradbury is, can you just put up your hand? We've got a couple. Yeah, we've got a few. Okay, but not many. Most of you don't know what a Bradbury is. But this is what a Bradbury is. It refers to being the unlikely winner of a contest. And I want to give you a couple of examples of how journalists have used that term uh, over the years. So, we'll just go forward. Thank you. I don't think this perhaps is going to work. It'll work? Okay, thanks. So, okay, here's one here. Uh, This is from uh, the Melbourne Age in in 2002. Lowndes, 27, and the rest of the field would be forgiven for thinking their only hope of beating Holden's Mark Scaife for the 2002 V8 crown would be to do a Bradbury. What about this one in the Canberra Times? This is an old one. Federal opposition leader Bill Shorten has done a Bradbury by heading Prime Minister Tony Abbott in recent polls. That gives you a bit of an idea of what doing a Bradbury is, right? So what did the original Bradbury do to get this honour of having a phrase or term like this named after him? Well, in, a, in an unlikely series of events, a uh, short track speed skater... Sorry, we'll go back for a minute. <laughs> I'm going to show you in a minute that, that slide but I've gone too quick. Um, So I want to give you the lead up to what you're going to watch. That's what's happening here. So I'll say that again. In an unlikely series of events, short track speed skater Stephen Bradbury became the first Australian to win a gold medal at a Winter Olympics ever. In Salt Lake City in 2002, he competed in the 1,000-metre short track event, skating on ice. After winning his first heat... It seemed that his chances of progressing any further were very slim. And why was that? It's because in his quarterfinal, he, he drew two people uh, that included the best skaters in the world. 
And only first and second place getters were actually going to go any further and progress to the semi-final. And Bradbury in that, that heat finished third, which meant he wouldn't go any further. But one of the other place getters was disqualified for obstruction and thus giving the Australian a spot in the semi-final. In the semi-final, in the semi-final race, he was at the back of the pack. It looked as if he was out of the race altogether when three other skaters fell and he managed to finish second place and get a berth in the final. And this is what happened in the final. How about that? It's great to cheer again, you know, all these years later. That's fantastic. <laughs> well, Peter Ryan of Cornhill, Sydney, fairly says the Israelites did a Bradbury when they defeated Jericho. They were the unlikely winners of a contest, in this case, a military advance on a tightly fortified city. And we're going to look at four valuable things or four valuable lessons that we can learn and take into our own life from the Battle of Jericho that are applicable to us. And these are they. <laughs> we cannot take credit for our victories. We need to listen to God. God is not for us or against us. And God is making a people for himself. Well, we cannot take credit for our victories. Actually, the glory goes to God. And this is made very clear in verses 1 to 16 of the passage that was read for us today. You saw the detailed explanation uh, of the week-long campaign, right? Uh, Lots of marching, trumpet blowing, art carrying. And again, Peter Ryan of Cornhill, Sydney, would have us imagine that after the defeat of Jericho, uh, the Israelites were all sitting around bragging about their victory. Just imagine that with me. What would that possibly have looked like? What would they have been saying? Well, the soldiers, for instance. How could they have bragged about their part in the campaign that ended in victory? Oh, you should have seen me marching this week. 
I'm much taller, straighter, and in time better than anyone else. If it hadn't been for my marching, we would never have taken Jericho. Or what about the armed guard at the front and back of the Ark of the Covenant? They could have said something like, wow, you should have seen how I guarded the Ark. No one could get past me. Don't bother me with the details that anyone didn't try to get past me, but impossible. If it wasn't for that, again, we wouldn't have taken Jericho. Or what about the priests uh, and what they were doing, playing their trumpets? What could they have said? Oh, you should have seen how I was playing my trumpet today. I played every note pitch perfect like I was in a symphony orchestra. No, look, the point of that is it beggars belief, right, that anyone could have bragged about the victory at Jericho. Um, It would have been absolutely ludicrous to do so. The Israelites did a Bradbury. God acted on their behalf to take the victory. And the Israelites breezed into Jericho like Stephen Bradbury breezed over the finish line to take Australia's first ever gold medal at a Winter Olympics. In the Israelites' case, all the glory goes to God. Well, I want to tell you a story, uh, or one of my own stories, that's just one of my own Jericho moments, if you like. In other words, how I did a Bradbury. It happened when I was serving with SIM in Santiago, Chile, Uh, One Saturday afternoon, I was taking my daughter to youth group when a car ran up the back of our car. We we weren't hurt, but there was a lot of damage and we needed to clear the cars off the road and then go to the police station to report the accident. It was actually very stressful for me giving the report to the police. One, because I was having to use my new language and use vocabulary I wasn't used to using, car parts and directions of traffic and all that sort of thing. But secondly, it was stressful because the owner of the, of the other car was trying to convince me to acknowledge fault in the accident so that uh, my insurance would cover the damage of both vehicles because his wasn't insured. So I had that stress going on as well. And the stress was growing exponentially to the point where I couldn't concentrate very well on what was going on. But it wasn't long after this that the young policeman who was taking the report of the accident and filling out his form just asked me one of his standard questions right at the height of my stress and the question was occupation well I was in Chile on a missionary visa you're allowed to be there as a missionary and that was what was on your visa so the correct answer for me uh, was missionary and the young policeman showed extraordinary interest in what a missionary was and at that moment the Holy Spirit just drop this question into my mind. David, do you really think this is all about the accident? And then I felt the stress just drop off me immediately. Well, today this young ex-policeman, Jorge, walks with the Lord because I did a Bradbury. I couldn't have organised for someone to crash into the back of my car so that I could have a conversation with a policeman seeking seeking the Lord. No, it's something I can't take credit for. God acted and all the glory goes to him. What a difference it can make to our lives knowing that we cannot take uh, take credit for our victories. And how would that apply to us this week as we go back to work or school or whatever we're doing? How, How can that actually impact us? Well, we could go into this week being 
actively thankful for the victories and successes we enjoy in our day-to-day lives, whether they're small or big. They're moments that give us the opportunity actually to give thanks back to God for what he's doing. Whether it's the jobs we have or the food we have on our tables, the opportunity to take a holiday or even that barista coffee that we're going to sip in the morning. We can consciously acknowledge that all things come from God and be thankful, actively thankful. If you want practical help in cultivating a habit of thankfulness, then I can recommend this book by Anne Voskamp called A Thousand Gifts. It actually helps you in a very practical way give a, keep a journal over a year's period of all the things you can be thankful to God for. And if you wrote down three, the concept is if you write three things each day that you've been thankful for to God, at the end of the year you'll have about a thousand things you've been thankful to God for. A second thing that we can uh, take note from this passage is that we need to listen to God, seeking his will for what we are to do and how we are to do it. Joshua was doing that, wasn't he? He knew it was time for Israel to enter the promised land after 40 years of wandering around in the desert. Here he faced another major challenge. The first one, recent one he'd faced was the crossing of the Jordan River, but now he faced the fortified, heavily fortified city of Jericho. In chapter 6, we see how Joshua hears from the Lord and takes detailed directions from him. They must have seemed unusual to him, right? Uh, but he was used to following unusual directions from him. And he followed these uh, directions in every detail. Unfortunately, when I was in Chile, I arrived at the listening to God stage a little bit too late, at the 11th hour, if you like. Maybe I should have been asking right from the moment that car accident happened, Lord, what are you trying to do in all of this? Instead, I became focused on myself and let the stress build. This passage from Joshua teaches us that in life, in church, and in global mission, we need to actually be seeking the Lord. Not only for the big and small circumstances of our life, but also for the detailed steps as we navigate life's circumstances. Well, whole books have been written on the topic of listening to God. Today, I want to focus on just one certain thing that God does encourage us and has encouraged us to apply to our lives. And it's this. I'm hoping it's this. (laughs) I might need you to go forward for me. Here we go. Thank you. Jesus said in uh, Matthew chapter 8, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Will we listen to God asking us to do that today? God could have given Joshua a very detailed briefing for a full military assault to take Jericho. But instead he gave him very simple instructions on marching, trumpet blowing, ark carrying and shouting. The Israelites put those instructions into action and they followed them to a T. Will we do the same when Jesus asks us to pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field? Imagine the impact on our communities just around here in Sydney 
and the places where your mission partners are working around the world if we were all to pray this simple prayer regularly. Well, there's also great encouragement for us in the fact that God is not for us or against us. And bear with me, I know that sounds a bit strange. So hang in there with me. God is actually about achieving his purposes and he invites his people to be part of what he is doing. We are joining in what he is doing as opposed to him joining us in what we are doing. And we see this in a couple of verses just before our reading that we had today. So at the end of chapter 5, we get these two verses. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Well, this is a great lesson for us to learn. And the lesson from the commander of the army of the Lord is following Jesus is not about us. And it's not about our churches or our programs or what we are doing. Life, church and mission is about what God is doing. It's about him achieving his purposes and he invites his church, individuals and families to be part of that mission. Ivan, if you could just go to the next slide for me, that would be helpful. So that mission that God has given us and invites us into includes local mission here, cross-cultural mission and global mission. If we get on board with what God is doing, of course he is for us, like God was for the Israelites in the conquest for Jericho. However, the message from this is very clear. God is for us when we're on board with what he is doing. And so when Romans 8 verse 31 asks if God is for us, who can be against us? It does so in the context of those walking in the purposes of God who are on board with what God is doing in their own personal lives as well as what God is doing in the world. So if we go back to my own example of the car accident, God wasn't for me in the accident, nor was he against me because he was for the other driver. He was actually for his own purposes of drawing a young policeman to himself. He graciously invited me to be part of that, and when I finally got on board with what he was doing, I realised that the car accident was actually very good. Well, as we apply that this week, let's try not let's try to avoid the temptation to actually become self-focused and get tunnel vision on our own circumstances. Let's remember the words of the commander of the army of the Lord to Joshua when he asked, are you for us or for our enemies? Remember the commander of the army of the Lord's reply was neither, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. God is with us in our circumstances. He's about achieving his purposes. And when we get on board with what he's doing, he is for us. 
Well, the last thing I wanted to look at today from Joshua chapter 6 was that God has actually revealed what his purposes are. And that's very good for us. It was good for Joshua back then because God had made his promises to Abraham in Genesis 12. But it's good for us too today because we've got a fuller picture of what God's purposes are. And that is to make a people for himself who will worship and glorify him. Not only this, but his people will consist of some individuals from every tribe, nation and tongue. And this is where Rahab comes in. Do you remember Rahab being mentioned in chapter 6? She was a Canaanite woman. That's code word for not of the people of God. She wasn't in the people of God. She was in the land that the Israelites were going to. But this Canaanite woman already had a heart for God. And we know this from Joshua chapter 2, when the Israelite spies first went into Jericho to spy out the land for the conquest. In verse 11 of chapter 2, after Rahab recounted all that they had heard that the Israelites had been doing, she admitted that the hearts of the people in Jericho melted with fear. And she declared these words, For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Well, an agreement was then entered into between the spies and Rahab, as you know. And when the Israelites entered Jericho, they saved Rahab and anyone from her household that she'd brought into the house with her. The Israelites, under Joshua's command, honoured the agreement and Rahab and her whole family were protected. In fact, they went and lived with the Israelites. Rahab did make their God her God. She had a heart after God. And rather than just living in fear of the Israelites and not responding to God, she acknowledged who their God was and she actually bowed her knee to him. This Canaanite woman became so much part of the Israelites that she married a man named Salmon and became the mother of Boaz. And Boaz was the man from Ruth, the book of Ruth, that took on uh, as redeemer, kinsman and husband, Ruth the Moabite. And again, Moabite in this context for us is, is code word for someone who's not in the family of God from another nation. Well, they had a son, Ruth and Boaz had a son named Obed, who became the father of Jesse, who became the father of King David himself. And as you know, uh, following that, if you follow the long line of um, the long line of uh, David on both sides of the family, you end up coming to Jesus. And if you follow that, you can follow Mary's line at the top and Joseph's line at the bottom until we come to Jesus. Well, it was Jesus actually, wasn't it, that opened up the way for not only Jews, Israelites to come into the kingdom of God, but Gentiles from every tribe, nation and tongue. And he's given the opportunity for them to come in to be the people of God and come under the promises of God. So all this is intimately connected with the Rahab of our passage today, an outsider becoming an insider in the family of God, a great God who made promises to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 6, fulfilling these promises 
to bring a people to himself that would worship and glorify him over the centuries and over the millennia. And the exciting news is we're an ongoing part of that story today. As we not only enjoy the benefits of being in the family of God, in the family of God here and in the family of God globally, but also as we reach out to others of every tribe, nation and tongue so that they might hear the good news of Jesus. Our great God invites us to be part of that mission and purpose. Rahab, at the evidence of God, wanted to be part of his family. Jorge, the policeman, had a heart soft towards God and when he got the opportunity to hear about Jesus, he took it and grabbed it with both hands. God wants us to be part of where, he wants us to be where people like Rahab and Jorge are so that we can be part of his plan, so that they have the opportunity to know about Jesus. So let's ask ourselves this week, who is the Rahab or Jorge going to be that I come across in my life this week at work or on the train or in the community? Let's ask the Lord of the harvest also to send out workers to where the Rahabs and Jorge's of this world are living. So just to sum all that, that up and, and give an overall conclusion of what we've looked at, Ivan, if you could help me with the next slide. This is what we looked at from Joshua chapter 6, if you want to take the brief notes, the summary. <laughs> we cannot take credit for our success, so let's be actively thankful for the small and large gifts God gives us. We need to listen to God, and he actually has a very detailed instruction for reaching this world, but it's simple. Pray for more workers for his harvest field. God is not for us or against us, but he is working out his purposes in the world and he invites us to get on board with that and be part of it. And if we do so, of course, he's for us. And God is making a people for himself from every tribe, nation and tongue. And the question is, who is the Rahab or Jorge that you're going to encounter this week? They're bound to be up there. And let's pray for more workers for the parts of the world where lots of Rahabs and lots of Borges are living without the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and how rich it is and what we can learn from it. We thank you for your heart that uh, nobody should be lost, but all should come into knowledge of, of the truth of you. Father, as we come across people this week, we pray that we'd have uh, our radars up for shining the light of Jesus into their lives. And Father, help us to be faithful, to get on board with what you're doing in the world and help us be prayerful, asking for more people to go out to the parts of the world where many people live their whole lives with very little opportunity to hear the word Jesus, let alone know who he is. So Father, as we do that, as part of this congregation and as part of the Australian church and as part of the worldwide church. May we honour you and glorify you in the way we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.